Uh, friends, if I haven't met you, my name is Pete Stacey. I should have said that before, and it is great to be here. I want you to use your imagination uh, with me. Imagine you're walking on a mountain track. Uh, I shared a story about that with the youth on Friday night. And uh, the, the side, as you're walking on this mountain track, the side of the path crumbles under your feet and you fall. Uh, that's a horrible thought, really, isn't it? You know, it could lead to serious injury, even death. That, that picture, does anyone recognise where that is? Lord Howe, Lord Howe Island, very good. So it's halfway up Mount Gower on Lord Howe Island. You wouldn't want to fall there. Uh, but, but if, as you're approaching the hazard, there were some clear warning signs for you, you'd be a lot more careful. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this passage. In verse 1, he says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Verse 4 says he didn't tell them at the beginning because he was still with them. Uh, the dangers were a long way off. Uh, they probably would have forgotten anyway. I would have. Uh, but this is, in God's providence, the time to tell them. And in God's providence, today is the day that we happen to be looking at this passage, seeing Jesus' words of warning and encouragement as well. So let's ask God to help us see the warning signs so that we can keep moving forward on the path of faith with wisdom and the comfort and confidence that he gives us by his spirit. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we open your word tonight, we hear your voice. Please help us to listen well, to understand it, to remember it, and to keep following Jesus with the guidance and strength your spirit provides. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is now our fourth week looking at this moving account of the Last Supper. It started back in chapter 13, and, and as we've looked at it, there's been some real shocks along the way. Like, you know, when they first got to the room and they're sort of gathering around the table, and, and Jesus takes off his outer coat and starts washing the disciples' feet. They've got like, what is going on here? It's the role of a servant. And then they're, they're like eating the Passover meal together, and then Jesus identifies Judas as the one who's going to betray him. And Judas disappears into the dark of night. And if that wasn't enough, then he predicts that Peter, like his close friend Peter, is going to deny him. The mood was pretty heavy. Uh, in chapter 14, you know, he, he comforts them, reminding them uh, that God's preparing heaven for them and uh, urging them to remain connected to him. That was that vine illustration of last week. And he warned them that they would face hatred and opposition from the world. And so in today's passage, uh, we're going to look at all of what was read out for us. Jesus explains how that hatred is going to be expressed and he tells them more about the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 26 with me. When the advocate comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. I think there's three wonderful truths for us right here in this first verse. Firstly, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force like electricity or gravity. The word translated advocate here also means helper, counsellor, comforter, strengthener, encourager. They're all really personal terms. 
And then as we see what he does, well, he testifies, he teaches, he reminds, he intercedes. Later in the New Testament, we see that uh, he can be grieved and even lied to. They're all relational qualities. So when we talk about the spirit in a practical way, uh, we, we talk about he, not it. The spirit of God, he lives inside every person who's put their trust in Jesus. Second thing is this. I think this verse is a wonderful example of the Trinity. The Spirit is, is different, distinct from the Father, distinct from Jesus. But friends, we worship one God who is a perfect, loving and eternal relationship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I think the third thing we see, look at how the, the verse ends. He will testify about me. Friends, the primary role of the Spirit of God is to point to Jesus, the Son of God. Verse 13 helps us see how this happened. Uh, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and He will tell you what is yet to come. And He's done it. Over the, uh, the, the following years, by guiding and inspiring the apostles, they were able to write the, what we now have as the New Testament. Now, we, all these years later, can have in our hands all the truth we need to be saved by God. We have in our hands all that we need to be able to live a life that honours Jesus. And in the, the pages of the New Testament, we have everything we need to know about the future to be 100% certain of where we'll be for eternity and how to get there. And it's all focused, centered on Jesus. One of the dangers in some Christian circles is to separate the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the ministry of Jesus. Or to separate the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the word of God that he inspired. And sometimes people can get really carried away with trying to hear the, the Spirit say and teach things above and beyond what he's already given us in the Bible. Now, God can speak to us any way he likes. And, you know, as we read the Bible, we see some extraordinary examples. Like he even spoke through the mouth of a donkey one time. But I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, like, go and find the nearest donkey and just sit there until you hear God speak. You might be there for quite a while. The one way that God has promised to speak to us is through the Spirit-inspired pages of the Bible. And as he does, the Spirit of God will never guide us in ways that contradict the word that he's given us. His ministry is to point us to Jesus, so that we can build our lives on his truth and all the wonderful promises that are ours in him. And he does it by helping us understand what we read. He does it by helping us remember the Bible. Even when we've read it and we're off doing something else, he can bring to mind scriptures. That's why it's so important to read it, to have a daily growing knowledge of his word. Has anyone had this situation, you, you, whatever life's throwing at you, uh, have you had this situation where the Spirit of God just brings to mind something of, that you've read in His Word? 
You know, maybe you're, you're discouraged or, or full of doubt or just needing some sort of comfort or maybe tempted by sin. And the Spirit just calls to mind a verse that you've read for your comfort and encouragement. Sometimes we just want to say thanks to God or praise his name. And there's plenty of inspiration that the Spirit can recall in our minds. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the very presence and power and personality of God lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And his top priority is to point us to Jesus and help us honour Jesus. He doesn't come into our lives to, to, to sort of bring glory to us. And he doesn't come into our lives to bring glory to himself even. He brings glory to Jesus in and through us. And because he's personal, and because he knows each one of us perfectly, he knows our circumstances perfectly, he's able to help us in exactly the way we need it. And we sure need his help, don't we? Because last week, we were reminded by Jesus that the world hates him and his followers. Look at verse 27. You know, rather than keep silent and safe and fly under the radar, Jesus wants us to go public. You also must testify, Jesus says, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, at one level, those words are really uh, directed at the apostles alone because they were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. But we also know that elsewhere, Jesus commands all of his followers to be witnesses. The basis of our witness is the apostles' witness about Jesus in the New Testament. But the uniqueness and power of our witness is in sharing our experience of that gospel truth. And every single follower of Jesus has a unique story that he can use in the life of other people that they know. We share how he died on the cross for our sins. We can share about the relief of sins forgiven, that weight of guilt lifted from our back. We can share about the peace that we now enjoy with God, share about the joy of our salvation, share about the certain hope that we have of what's beyond the grave. No more fear of death. We can share about the enriching experience we have being part of God's family here with each other. So much we could share, isn't there? As we do this, some people are going to be drawn to what we share like a moth to a flame. Some will be saved, but others will be repelled. In fact, some will hate what they hear. That's why Jesus here in this passage, is preparing his disciples for opposition. Up to this point, they've been shielded because he was with them. In fact, in chapter 17, he says so. While I was with them, he says, I protected them and kept them safe. But Jesus knows the hour has come for him to depart. And without his physical presence, they're going to face the full force of opposition and trouble. Verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Exclusion and murder. So, who wants to become a Christian? Strong, strong words, isn't it? Strong warnings. 
Who remembers this book? It's an old book. Did anyone ever read that one? I was really popular sort of in the 80s and 90s. Um, it tells us stories of many people through history who died because they stood for Jesus. Now, it's hard for us to imagine the horrors that Christians throughout the centuries have faced. In fact, our brothers and sisters in some parts of the world today are still facing that horrific persecution and death. They need our prayers. They need our financial support too. In fact, they're the two ways that the Christians in the New Testament supported each other in tough times. Friends, here in Australia, we live in one of the most peaceful and stable periods in human history. And we should pray that it continues, not just for our comfort, but so that we can continue to share the gospel in the freedom that we've got at this present time. But Jesus said that opposition and persecution is always present for his followers. Now, it might be mild for us right now, relatively. A um, bit of exclusion here, a bit of teasing there, uh, perhaps some discrimination in the workplace, things like that. But we need to be prepared because times can change. And Jesus said sometimes it would be particularly severe. The reason for such persecution is there in verse 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. What a tragic irony. They think they're offering a service to God. That's what verse 2 just said. But the truth is they do not even know God. To be fair, I have to say that throughout Christian history, there has been a lot of violence and murder done by Christians or certainly done in the name of Christ as well. And I want to say this. True Christianity is passionate for the gospel. But true Christianity and the passion that comes with that must be shaped by the gospel as well. It's a gospel of grace and forgiveness, not force, violence and coercion. So when conflict arises, Christians uh, sometimes fall into this trap of promoting the content of the gospel, but forgetting the conduct of the gospel. And it undermines our testimony. In our culture, we don't draw swords of steel like in past centuries, but I see plenty of swords of slander going both ways especially in online forums. People saying you know, things supposedly from a Christian point of view, slandering those who are attacking the Christian faith. Friends, if any of us find ourselves in an argument about God or, or faith or the gospel, let's be careful to model the gospel in our behaviour as we also communicate the gospel with our words, especially can I suggest, in those online contexts. Be clear, but maintain our gentleness and respect for others. Now, understandably, when Jesus' disciples hear all of this, they are filled with grief. Not only is he going, but they're going to suffer. So Jesus reassures them with these words, verse 7, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. What? We miss just how bizarre that is. 
It's kind of like, you know, imagine if I said to you, uh, if you're a Christian, the best thing you can do is not have Jesus. Just doesn't seem to make sense. But Jesus explains, unless I go away, the advocate, this is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And there's two massive reasons why the disciples and us today are better off with the Holy Spirit instead of the physical presence of Jesus. See, with Jesus, we see a localized, physical presence of God with, with his 12 disciples and, and others, you know, believers around the edges and, and all the amazing ministry that he was doing. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the universal spiritual presence of God indwelling and empowering millions of believers globally. I'm a pictorial learner. That was just for me. Hope you like it. The second reason is this. Jesus' work when he was speaking to his disciples in that upper room, Jesus' work was not complete. The Holy Spirit's role is to point to Jesus and his finished work. But the climax of Jesus' work was still ahead at this point. Think about what still had to happen. Jesus still had to suffer and die on that cross for our sin. Then came the resurrection Defeating the power of sin, defeating the power of death, defeating Satan himself. A few weeks later came his ascension from earth to heaven where he rules at the right hand of his father. Then and only then could Jesus send the spirit to his disciples. Then and only then could the spirit point to Jesus and his finished work, and all the glorious promises that are, are ours as a result of that work. And notice that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to believers only. It's to all the people of the world. Verse 8, when he comes, he will prove or convict or convince the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Then he explains each part for us in the following verses about sin because people do not believe in me. The world thinks sin doesn't matter. The world likes to define it or, or then redefine it, keep changing you know, about what is right and wrong, um, but thinks nothing of offending some kind of deity out there. Even in the church, we often think of sin and talk about sin as some kind of moral failure, you know, wrong thoughts, words and actions. And that's true, but all of those things are evidence of a much greater problem. And that is not recognizing Jesus as God and trusting in him to save us. Friends, apart from Jesus, there is no cure for sin. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about righteousness because, says Jesus, I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. The world thinks that good people go to heaven. Who's heard someone say that? Good people go to heaven. If there is a heaven, they might say. But God has a much higher standard. Jesus taught, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's true righteousness. So what's that got to do with Jesus going back to heaven? It's this. You see, death is the consequence of human sin. And hell is the punishment for human sin. 
So by raising Jesus from the dead and welcoming him back to the throne of heaven, God the Father is affirming publicly the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Which begs the question then, why did he die in the first place? His death on the cross was not for himself. It was for the unrighteous, for me and for you, so that we might be forgiven, washed clean and clothed in his perfect righteousness, acceptable to God, welcomed in heaven through faith. Lastly, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's talking about the devil uh, there in that verse. Uh, the world likes to deny the existence of the devil and it hates any talk about divine judgment, let alone hell. It's not comfortable coffee shop conversation. Have, have you ever tried it? It doesn't go down too well. But here... Jesus gives us a sobering reminder that all who cling to this world and, and all that it offers will share the same fate as its prince. Irreversible judgment, separated from God and shut out of heaven forever. Now at this point, I can kind of empathize, you know, if there's someone sitting here thinking, you're trying to tell me all this stuff about Jesus is good news? Give me something to hang on to. Well, it's right here. Look at it with me as I wrap up. I said earlier that the very heart of the Spirit's ministry is pointing people to Jesus. And we see it in these verses. Consider a court of, of law that we might have. After the conviction comes the judgment or the sentence. But here, the Spirit of God adds a middle step in that process, namely the righteousness of Jesus. Friends, we are all sinners and God is completely right in his judgment against us. But in his great love and mercy, he sent Jesus into the world to live a life of perfect righteousness that we simply cannot live. Then to die the worst sinner's death. To pay for our sin. So that all who trust in him may be forgiven and receive life in his name. At the very heart of the Christian faith is a personal belief in the seriousness of sin. In the certainty of God's eternal judgment to come. And in the saving work, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? Have you personally received Jesus as Lord in life and Saviour for eternity? As God's people, let's not merely encourage moral behaviour. Let's join the Spirit of God in His work of pointing people to Jesus at home, here at church, in the workplace, in our social interactions, wherever we are, so that those we know, those we interact with, might find life in his name, escaping the certain judgment of God. Amen.
gain the Holy Spirit when we started keeping the peace with everyone and everyone just looked around at us as though we were violent or anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord.